You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of Soft Idolatry. This is for the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, which is February 16th of 2020, and we're airing on February 17th of 2020. How are you, Alan? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Making good grades? I don't know. <laughs> Future's so it's, bright. You got to wear shades? Oh, I... Okay. <laughs> we're in graduation season now already, apparently, uh-huh. in February. I don't know where that, where did that come from? Timbuk three. No, right. Okay. Yeah. I knew. Never mind. <laughs> you, you said are, I'm doing all right. You're and, in. Okay. And that sent that me straight triggered, into lyrics. That triggered it. Oh my gosh. Um, Just about anything can trigger song lyrics with me. That's fair. That's fair. So what's your sermon title this week? My sermon title this week is why it matters. How about yours? Why? why is my sermon title "Why It Matters"? Well, you 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 asked why, so <laughs> oh, oh, or is it not a question? Oh my god, you're like difficult right out of the gate this week. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we record early in the day. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is such a problem. Oh my gosh! And uh, if you all follow us on Instagram, uh, keep your eyes open later. I'm going to try not to giggle every time I see Alan take a sip of his coffee because it's in a cup that has fruit on it, but the peaches on the cup look like butts. And so every time he takes a drink of coffee, I just see butts in the screen of the computer. I mean, pretty much it only looks like that if you're looking at it super close through the camera on a laptop, but you know. It's ex- it's it's all about the angles. What's What's your sermon title before we go way off the rails? Choosing Life. Choosing Life. Excellent. Um, so before we get into the texts, what are some of the things in the world that we are seeing this week? Boy, um, I think you're the one that's about to be seeing big things in the world this coming week or or the week after. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a Uh, little bit about what's going on in your life and what you expect to be seeing soon? Yeah, actually, by the time this episode airs, I will be in the air. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh... I will be in the air on a plane to El Salvador. I am traveling with Presbyterian Peacemaking. This will be my third trip with Presbyterian Peacemaking on one of their travel study seminars. We're going to be going to El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and uh, Tijuana in, in Mexico to um, to look at issues pertaining to immigration from specifically from Central America to the United States. Mm. That sounds like a very fruitful use of your time. I have I've been to the US Mexico border myself on a seminary mission trip and it was very eye-opening. Yeah, this is one of those topics that I feel like you really need to be present and see with your own eyes before you can start making judgment calls on any particular group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Boots on the ground. Uh, 
actually talking to the people before you pronounce judgment on them, always a good thing. Actually, pronouncing judgment on them, almost never a good thing. But that's probably more the meat of our podcast than the introduction. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be getting a little more into law and judgment and minding your own business <laughs> in uh, in the podcast this week. And there's a lot of that woven into this trip. Uh, I, f- I went to Israel and Palestine, oh gosh, two years ago now. Um, I know you've been there as well. Yeah. And I felt like that me. was, yeah. And I feel like that was a similar kind of trip mm-hmm. where if you're going to talk about it, go see what's happening firsthand. Yeah, I definitely thought I knew a lot more about the situation there or the situation along the U.S.-Mexico border than I, you know, that I did after I saw those places with my own eyes. Yeah, I felt like I came back from Israel-Palestine both feeling like I knew more how to talk about the situation, but feeling like I actually knew less about it because right. it's so complicated and... Um, immigration issues in the United States are also exceptionally complicated. I've been doing a lot of reading to prepare and our history of immigration in this country is wacky. Yes. Also keep in mind that true knowledge begins when you admit that you know nothing. That's deep. All right. That is, but you actually have to admit that. Yeah, you absolutely do. Uh, You have to be willing to let your own uh, preconceived notions be torn apart, yes. uh, taken down in order to learn and grow. Rent asunder. Rent asunder. There's your big word for the day. Yeah. <laughs> now you're warming up. <laughs> yeah. That actually means torn in two. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, so I have a story to share. It doesn't have anything to do with Central America or uh, the Middle East. But it but has it to do with these passages. it might be a lead into these texts. Yes, please share. It definitely is a lead into these texts. So uh, Sunday was a pretty rough day for me this past week. And uh, just one of those like long day at, at church and uh, someone wound up in the hospital. And then I came home and... Because uh, of something you said? Because of something I said? That they were in the hospital? Yeah. No, I didn't put anyone in the hospital. No heart attacks. Oh, okay. No heart attacks because of what I said at church. Um, no, it was completely unrelated to something I said. Anyway, I got home. I'm exhausted. I'm at the end of my rope. And my daughter goes to turn on the computer. She actually went to go turn it on so she could edit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and she turns it on and she goes, what's up with the monitor? And I said, what do you mean what's up with the monitor? And she said, it won't turn on. So I asked my husband, do you know what's going on with the computer monitor? He said, no. So I went in and I looked and it looked like a fist or a ball or something round and hard had hit the screen. It hadn't Hmm. broken the front of the screen, but it had cracked whatever this magic is inside of behind the glass that makes the screen do monitor things. And that's why my husband's the software guy, not me. Yeah, the the crack let out the monitor gnomes, I believe is the technical explanation. Yes. So yeah, so the monitor gnomes were running amok behind the glass um, and not staying in their pixels. I know that word. I know some of the words. I just don't know how they're used. And uh, so it was clearly broken, not a little broken, like real broke, 
And a couple days previously, we had noticed that an extra computer monitor we had had fallen off the bookshelf and had broken. And we assumed it was a cat because cats sometimes bump things off of bookshelves and it probably shouldn't have been stored up that high, that precariously, etc. So we assumed a cat had had something to do with that. But now this other computer monitor is mysteriously broken because something has hit it and um, sent the gnomes into a riot. So we, we asked the kids, you know, what, what happened? And after several hours of, well, everybody's losing privileges for electronics and, you know, everyone's in trouble until someone can admit this because we know it wasn't mom or dad that hit the computer monitor with a ball or a fist or whatever. Uh, so it was, you know, one of you for sure suspecting that it was not our daughter because she was the one that had turned it on and said, what's wrong with the monitor? Generally, the person who's trying to avoid being caught does not go, oh, what happened to this thing <laughs> to draw attention to it? So finally, after some time alone thinking in his room, our son, our 11-year-old came forward and admitted he had been bouncing a ball and the ball that he was bouncing had hit the bookshelf and ricocheted off the bookshelf, knocking off the one computer monitor, and then the ball hit the screen of the other one. So with <laughs> It sounds like one magic ball. With one errant ball bounce, two computer monitors were taken out. And it's one of those parenting moments, those golden moments where you have been saying, stop bouncing the ball in the house for so long, so long. And, you know, you're going to break something, something's going to get broken. And finally, something does. And you get to say, I told you so. Now, here's how this connects to our passages today. Do tell. Do I tell. will tell. I will tell. Um, when God tells us not to bounce a ball in the house, it is not because God gets some sort of jollies out of punishing us when we do bounce a ball in the house. It is not as some sort of way to steal our fun or um, keep us from doing whatever we want, but rather when God... Or, go or, or rather than it's not just to create a rule for the sake of testing us to see if we're obeying a rule. Correct, right. When God tells us not to bounce the ball in the house, it's because God knows in God's knowledge. And, God knows and, that that ball is God, going to strike something. Yeah, God knows when you bounce a ball in the house, something gets broken eventually. You can bounce a ball. He's been bouncing a ball for years without breaking anything, let me tell you. All, all the more reason not to believe you. Exactly. But that ball eventually did hit something. And when we think about the law, which we're going to be talking about a lot today in this podcast, and, and the things that God urges us to do, it's not because doing those things buys our salvation. It's not because God wants us to be prohibited from things that we think are fun. It's because when, when we, we do those things, good things result. We get out of our right. own way and we live into the blessings that God has given us. Exactly. Exactly. So um, with that, um, 
What do you say we launch into our text? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Uh, right. what's, what's our first text? Um, so the first one that I'm using, and I think we're both using this one, um, if I'm not mistaken, is Psalm 119 verses 1 through 8. This is the longest psalm, but we're not reading the whole psalm because it's super duper long. Isn't it something like 120 verses or 150? So many verses, yeah. And there, and it, it is relatively repetitive. It's a 120 or so verses of um, applauding the law and talking about how mm. great the law is. Let's see if we can uh, encapsulate that in just eight. Let's do it. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, also who do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ordinances. I will observe your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Mm. Okay. I am using the reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 37, which seems like a long piece of scripture, but we're about to go into Lent when we've got the Gospel of John, and this is nothing. There are some, there are some really long ones coming up. There are some entire chapter ones coming up. Yeah. Okay, so Matthew 5, 21 through 37. Jesus is speaking this is from the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, first to be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I, uh, one of the podcasts I, I listen to regularly, um, I want to say it was Pulpit Fiction this week. Um, it was either that or um, Two Bubbas in a Bible, but... Uh, either way, they they said that if um, biblical literalists actually took the Bible literally, there would be an awful lot of one-eyed, one-handed Christian men walking around. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah, you want to take scripture literally, uh, better start chopping some hands off. Uh, this is wow. This this is a hard passage. It is, and I think it's one that um, uh, it's it's one that you always need to do some unteaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we'll come back to this, but there is a meme on Facebook that I love, and it's one of those you know it's got one of those backgrounds for inspirational quotes, and it looks like it could be a piece of scripture, and it says, "I can do all things through one verse of scripture taken out of context." <laughs> right, right. And it's so easy to pull anything out of context, especially in this passage. It's really easy to beat up somebody else over their divorce or uh, anything you want. You could really twist this out of shape. And this this is one of those areas where there are things about society in Jesus' time that do not map one-to-one on to our world, including the fact that women in biblical times were more like property than fully autonomous mm-hmm. human beings. But we live in a world in which most people have a great deal more autonomy than any individual, male or female, would have had in biblical times. Which is not to say that there aren't still imbalances in power, but it is closer to balance now than it was 2,000 years ago. I think we can probably agree on that. Yeah. Um, it, this is an important place to remember the culture, the cultural setting, the culture from which this passage comes and the historical context around it. Because, yeah. yeah, because taking things literally is dangerous when you don't understand where it came from. Exactly. So this is, among other things, um, urging men to behave righteously and to not divorce a wife on a whim and to 
remain in a relationship even if it is troubling. Um, so I, I think we we need to not use this to beat up anyone today who has who has had a divorce or is in the process of a divorce. And we must never, ever, ever use a piece of scripture like this to counsel a woman who is in an abusive marriage to stay in that marriage. I've actually, I've made that argument before about how we can't use this passage that way. And someone said to me, well, nobody does that anymore. Uh, which is so untrue uh, because about 20 years ago, a pastor did counsel me to stay in an abusive marriage by saying, well, you know, if you just, you know, pray harder and act, you know, uh, you be a better wife essentially was the message. So it was all on you. Correct. Yeah. It was, Uh... it was my fault. It was some, it was some classic victim blaming, and mm-hmm. that is not at all what Jesus is talking about. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus is talking about. He's putting protections together for people here, not excuses to continue behaving badly. Right, right. And, you know, the the general context of all of this is this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching his disciples about true righteousness and about the kind of righteous behavior it takes to cultivate a community of believers, to cultivate a community that gives witness to God in the world and all of God's goodness, because it actually lives into the spirit of the law rather than simply living into the letter of the law. Right, right. Uh, I want to move into this Deuteronomy passage. Yeah, yeah, I'm... this is really important too. Are you using this passage? I am. Okay, I thought it would be weird if you didn't use the Deuteronomy passage. I know how you feel about about the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, I, I and also this is where I draw my title of my sermon. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of have to use it if I'm drawing the sermon title from it. Yeah, and this is also where we start to get the picture of God's promises, not just punishment, not just rules, but listen, this is why. This is why this is here. This is Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Abraham, <laughs> to Isaac, and to Jacob. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. And and boy, it would be nice if we get some nine inch nails here on the bumpers. On <laughs> <laughs> bow down before the one you serve. Yeah. You're going to get what you deserve. You're going to get <laughs> what you deserve. Oh, I haven't heard that in a long time. No, um, nor I. When we were talking earlier this week, you had some some quotes from Rob Bell. I'd love if you could share those. Yeah, so I, I've been reading through Bell's book, What is the Bible? And Heresy. Yeah. Sorry, I have a lot of people <laughs> who think he's a real heretic. I'm like, no, he's finally coming back to mainline theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while there are certain points of emphasis where I might take issue, um, he's got some appendices at the end of the book. And in in those appendices, he asks, he raises a couple of questions, or, or rather he says, uh, he, what's the best question you can ask about anything in the Bible? And, and then in another one, he asks, what's the second best question you can ask about any particular passage in the Bible? And the best question, according to Bell, that you may ask of any biblical text is, why was this written down in the first place? Mm -hmm. What is so important about it that it needed to be written down? And then the next best question is, why has this passage endured over the years? And I think those are really good questions to bring to any piece of scripture. Yes. It, it's certainly easy when you look at, um, when, when you look at, say, the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been doing these last several weeks, Jesus said it. So that obviously gives it a little more weight or heft than, let's say, Third Peter or First uh, John or something like that. Not that those aren't wonderful pieces of Scripture, but when it is coming from Jesus' mouth, as Christians, we are conditioned to turn our heads and pay a little more attention than we were before we heard Jesus talking. Right. There's actually an apocryphal passage that is listed in the lectionary for this week. And as Protestants, we don't use the apocrypha often. And that is because it doesn't hold the same sort of weight, or rather we have determined through the canonization, the putting together of Scripture, that these aren't quite as reliably authentic or historically accurate. But sometimes they're really great passages. And I, I may use this in my sermon. There's a Sirach passage this week, 15, 15 through 20, um, that talks, it, it's sort of an um, echo of the Deuteronomy passage about um, blessings and things like that. But that's a... Um, a similar sort of, you know, we, we have to look at um, where the scripture came from and what its history of use is in the Christian tradition when we decide how to uh, put it together with other scripture, with our worship, with our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, th this reading from Sirach really seems to just repeat what is in all of the other things that we've read for today. 
Right. And I think that's probably why it's it's one of the passages that the lectionary authors decided to keep in, because it does echo the other passages. It's not in disagreement with anything. No, not at all. Not at all. They are all very much in harmony today. Yeah. So, hey, uh, what about that article that you read? So I, I saw something very interesting in Time. Uh, somebody posted it online. And it is an evangelical pastor from Arkansas, and his name is, sorry, my computer did not click over quickly enough. That's a um, funny name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's a pseudonym, you know. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Um, Rob Ryers, or Ryers, I'm not sure how to pronounce the, the last name there. Um and according to the byline, he is a pastor at Vintage Fellowship in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And he, I think, would describe himself as a conservative evangelical. But he has argued in the course of his leadership that uh, though he is ardently pro-life, he has questioned whether or not fighting to criminalize abortion is the best way to end the practice of abortion. And I don't want to dive deep into the substance of that debate because that's a different podcast. But in doing this, he has, uh, he has received quite a lot of hateful criticism and he has uh, gotten messages like, Get struck down by God, you pile of shit. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, somebody else said, enjoy hell, bitch. So much so, for the sanctity of human life. Jeez. So much for the sanctity of human life. And again, uh, presumably these people attacking him call themselves Christians. And I wonder if they're blissfully unaware of this passage from the Gospel of Matthew, in which Jesus says, if you say you fool to someone, you are liable to the fire of hell. Now, I'm guessing they're not, and certainly I do think that Jesus is using a little bit of hyperbole there, but if you are going to take literalist positions about the scripture, then you had better be aware of literally all of the scripture. Mm -hmm. You better know that Jesus has called you out for that sort of condemnation. And uh, it, it's just one of those, um, to, to paraphrase Jesus again, it's one of those first get the moat out of your own eye, um, or first get the splinter out of your own eye, uh, you know, be aware that that sort of name-calling and insulting is very much antithetical to the kingdom of God that Jesus is trying to get us to build here on earth. And if you are going to engage in that, you are also running afoul of Jesus' words. Yeah. Um, we are not called in Scripture 
to use it as a way to judge the actions or, or uh, condemn the actions of other people in their lives. We are, we are to use it as a way of assessing where we are at and how we are right. contributing to the betterment of the community of the world around us. goes back yes. to Shalom again. It does go back to Shalom. And what are the things that bring us into Shalom? And what are the things that pull us out of Shalom? And clearly, Jesus is labeling the things that pull us out of shalom in this passage and really in the whole Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that is all about creating God's beloved community. Mm -hmm. And this, this does connect to the trip that I'm preparing to go on as well to the immigration issue. Um, one of the you know, one of the main arguments that I hear people make when they are anti-immigration, um, uh, no one will say they're anti-immigration. They will say, oh, people can come, but they have to do it legally. Um, <laughs> and first of all, um, that's real hard to do. That's, uh, you know, um, very, very complicated. And our system is pretty pretty broken. And I would argue that neither the Democrats nor the Republicans truly want to solve the problems because it's a great talking point in debates. Um, so we've just come up with no solutions. But aside from that, our calling as Christians is not to blame other people's actions or to say, well, that person isn't following this rule and that person isn't following that rule. Um, regardless of if the rules are from the Bible or not. That's not our job to argue who's following what rules other than to um, figure out how we are living into the scriptural narrative. Yeah, I, I do think that you can raise some prophetic critique of leaders. You yes. can raise general critiques of behavior, uh, of things that of actions that create systems of injustice. Uh, you can always uphold the orphan and the widow, as it were, and critique the leaders or the laws that keep the widow and orphan and others from receiving justice. But in terms of personal behavior, uh, tread lightly because <laughs> you're probably doing it yourself. Yeah. I have uh, a story that a lot of people may have heard before. It's been out there for a while, but I read this to my students in my uh, trauma and abuse recovery class. And because it's very easy when you have been um, victimized by an abuser to um, place a lot of blame on others and it's never the victim's fault hear that but we cannot fix the other person's behavior we can only fix our own and this is the story that i use to to illustrate that and i think this gets to what we're talking about too it's called the window from which we look a young couple moved into a new neighborhood the next morning while they were eating breakfast the young woman saw her neighbor hanging her wash outside that laundry is not very clean she said she doesn't know how to wash very well. Maybe she needs better laundry detergent. 
Her husband listened, but remained silent. Every time her neighbor would hang her laundry out to dry, the young woman would make the same comments about her dirty laundry. About a month later, the woman was surprised to see a nice, clean wash on the line, and she said to her husband, Look, she learned how to do her laundry right. I wonder who taught her this. Her husband said, I got up early this morning and washed our windows. And so it is with life. What we see when watching others depends on the purity of the window through which we look. Scripture is about washing your own windows and not worrying about how other people are doing their laundry. Well said. Wow, I left you speechless. I was well, that I, I, figured you, I figured you had more to say, so uh, <laughs> you know, I, well said was all that I was going to get in. No, that is not an unfounded assumption. <laughs> <laughs> but right, that's what the law is not about, um, nitpicking other people. The law is about figuring out how to get yourself healthy and in a place where you can interact well with others and be a contributor to the shalom of the community. Right. That's, that's the most important thing is that it's about the entire community and it starts with you and me following the intent, following, living into the love that is behind the law. Yeah. Sorry, Americans. Uh, it's <laughs> not about you as an individual or even mm -hmm. as a nation. It's just mm -hmm. not. That's not what the Bible's about. And no. um, so we need, to, we need to be concerned about the entire community. Yeah. That's all I got. How about you? I, I think that's all I've got, too. All right. Why don't you pray us out of here? And uh, we'll, we'll part ways for now. Hopefully, we'll have an episode next week. We're going to try to work out some of the technological uh, technicalities of things. And uh, basically, can they, can they get the sound gnomes and the recording gnomes to work from Central America? along with the uploading gnomes so that we can have content. The the uploading gnomes is going to be more of a wild card. So there may be one or two episodes in the next two weeks, um, but no promises. And they may be, um, the quality is probably going to suffer. <laughs> but we do want to try to touch base while, uh, while I'm away. All right, let's pray. Okay. God of grace and mercy, we thank you for your love and your laws, and we ask you to clean our windows. We ask you to help us remove the motes from our own eyes, to clean our glasses and our lenses and all of the things that shape how we see the rest of your creation, so that we are not so quick to judge, not so quick to place our ideas in front of your love for all of your creation. We ask that you remove and refine these impurities within us so that we may better love and serve all of your creatures, all of your world, and live into the shalom of your beloved community. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.
Now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Soft Idolatry. Remember that you can get our show notes as well as links to us on Facebook and Instagram on www.softidolatry.com. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you'll find a link there to our Patreon page as well, where you can support the podcast. And you can always email us questions or comments at info at softidolatry.com. Hey, Alan. Yes, Carissa. Do you know why I always wear a watch when I fly? Dear Lord, no. Why do you always wear a watch when you fly? Because it really makes time fly. Wow, that was that was uninspired. Whatever, man. You're just jealous of my wit. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information... Check us out at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd really like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Thanks.